ultra Tuscan orange grapefruit. My God, America is imploding. Stop. I'm in the fan zone. Uh, I actually wanted to change that intro recently. I was going to change it to the dance number from Ted 2, but then I realized that all of the credits for the movie are played over that dance, uh, so I couldn't really do that. So I, uh, we're, we're taking uh, options now from both Ted films uh, to spice <laughs> up the scenes a little bit. Um, what about him falling from the green monster? Oh, maybe that could be. Uh, all right. Welcome to the show. We got another match for you. Ryan O'Regan taking on Joe Harrison um, as we continue to move towards uh, the final event of the year. Uh, winner of this going on to play uh, Nazario. So very interesting. Uh, it's going to be a good match, I hope. Cody, uh, you're here. How you doing? I'm great. Um, Michelob Ultra Orange grape for whatever imploding uh just like the new york yankees i want this to be live right now the team has spent so much money and traded for people that we wanted and their team is imploded and we traded mookie bets and we're going to make the playoffs this is crazy times that we're living in uh ryan i think defeated last like maybe not last match but the match before when he lost and put so much work in and then came out had a great performance last time i think he can make a long run joe was also a person i think got a does he have a knockout on his record? Um, I I know that his last match he played bar. Let me see. Uh, I know the one prior. I think he I does not have a knockout on his record, but he does okay. have a win. No, they're, they're both one and two. They're both opposite. Two. Okay, uh, but I think Joe has the ability to put arguments together. Um, but we'll see what happens tonight. Again, this is a wild match. Um, see who did the most prep because these questions are a little bit out there. Yeah, Lucas, uh, welcome. Thank you for being back. Um, what do you think of the match? I mean, I think you should change the intro to the uh, SNL Sam Adams pumpkin ale skit with Bill Burr when he takes an entire drink of it and spits it out. <laughs> and then he goes, let me try this again. And he just chugs the entire thing. <laughs> and he goes, oh, didn't like that. <laughs> I've never seen that, but that it's sounds so like something funny. I need to watch. It's so funny. Uh, um, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, this is going to be an interesting match. When you get players that have had some lack of success in the past, it's always interesting to see if, like, you take those negatives as, like, your motivation. You come back and have, like, really structured arguments. Because I feel like something you see throughout this game is that people who do the prep and structure their arguments, like, almost have, like, a diagram written out, A to B to C. They tend to do really well. And it's interesting to see at times if people can um, take the adversity that happens in previous matches and turn that into better prep going forward. So this is kind of a match that we get to see. Are these guys good at learning from uh, past adversity? Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. We'll start by talking to Mr. O'Regan Ryan, uh, as Cody alluded to. <laughs> uh, he he was, I had to uh, do it. Uh, your last diarrhea. your last <laughs> match was in round one of the tournament against Mr. Coho. Uh, very good showing in that match. Uh, Coho went on to uh, play in the semifinals of the tournament. So you lost to someone who went very far, but you had a very strong showing in that match. And now you're back to play Joe. What do you think? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, when you think about what I've actually done, in, well, or even haven't done in uh, FanZone, uh, it's been quite the roller coaster. Uh, so coming off of the Coho match, I felt very emboldened. I felt like... That was one of the more fun matches I had ever had to do. And I'm glad that uh, Caleb was able to go ahead and go as far as he did. And, you know, that makes me feel better. But now I've come to a point where I'm facing Joe. Now, in parts unknown, where other debate has happened far, far in the past, Joe was actually the very first person I ever did debate against. 
And so I've seen him gone ahead and, you know, do what he's done here. And he's definitely stepped up his game since then. I, I think it might have been even his first match, too, at that time. So will this be a return to form? Will I have nostalgic feels? Will he utterly decimate me uh, in revenge of what happened last time? Who knows? But I certainly like that I'm going to be able to go up against somebody that I've actually had some rapport with. So at least I'll feel a little more comfortable this time as opposed to just, you know, trying to muscle it out against Coho like I did. Yeah, it, it's it, probably better playing Joe than listening to Coho talk for an hour. So. <laughs> uh, all right. You want a so. shot? Keep the Yankee stuff away and you might have a shot in this match. <laughs> <Jeez. laughs> all right. Uh, let's bring in Mr. Harrison. Joe, you are back. Uh, as we said earlier, uh, you lost to Andrew Barr in round number one of the uh, tournament earlier this year, but now you are back playing Ryan, and it seems that you have played before. Uh, yeah. How are you feeling about the match? I, I'm feeling pretty good uh, about the match. Like Ryan said, we've played each other before, so and, and I I appreciate him saying that I have improved. I've tried to improve, take what judges said, say at each match and improve. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited for this match. My... Uh, uh, I, I like both of our answers, so it's really – and, like, that's what I like is when both of us have strong answers, so it's really going to come down to the argument. So, yeah. Awesome. All right, well, let's get into it. This is how it's going to work. Uh, Cody and I came up with some questions for the players uh, based on categories that they drafted. Uh, they then picked answers to those questions and are going to debate them. They each get a one-minute opening followed by a five-minute free form, followed by a one-minute closing for each player uh, at the end of the question, Cody Lucas and I will write on our handy dandy boards who we think should have won that question. Uh, the first person to win three questions is the winner. So gentlemen, any questions as we get into the first debate? No, but I would like it if uh, Cody has any way of updating me on the Yankee score uh, that that will probably help me later on too. Yeah, Just really rile me up. I think that can definitely be a thing. You're muted, Cody, but uh, I under yeah, I bet that's. <laughs> you will see me celebrate if they lose to the Texas Rangers. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> <laughs> All fair, right, well, fair. let's get into it. All right, we are going to kick it off with the first question, which comes in the category of Disney slash Pixar. And the question is, what real-life toy should become a character in the next Toy Story movie? Uh, so, Joe, or no, yes, Ryan drafted this, right? Yes. I'm losing my mind. Ryan drafted this. So, Ryan, you get to go first. You have one minute to open your argument when you start talking, and I will come in and give you a 10-second uh, uh, warning. So go ahead when you start talking. So as we've seen with the Toy Story series, there have been a lot of different kinds of uh, figures, uh, you know, playable items, uh, you know, animals and such that have gone ahead and been given new life in the characterizations, whether it be with uh, Andy or with Bonnie as uh, their owners. The thing about the toys that we've seen is that they all kind of harken back to like a bygone era. You know, with the exception of maybe Buzz Lightyear and a couple of others, it's all pretty much like classic toys, things that you really do play around with and things that kids played with back then. If you think about 
going forward, actually progressing the story of Toy Story into the future, what toys are there? I mean, there's a lot of people that go ahead and play around on their phones and on their computers, electronics, game systems and everything. But as far as toys are concerned, there's very few and far between that are played with. But if you're going to go with a toy, a figurine that encompasses the future and really has a story to tell, Funko Pop. Time. All right. Joe, you now have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. So the toy I decided to go with is Stretch Armstrong, and the reason I decided to go with Stretch Armstrong is because for the future of Toy Story, we need a toy that is very um, malleable and very fun to play with and can kind of be molded in different ways, and Stretch is able to do that with how he can literally move around and just be played with in different ways, and to see that malleability in a toy when we've seen these very rigid toys, with the exception of Mr. Potato Head, all the toys are very rigid and have like very structured ways of how you play with them. So with Stretch Armstrong being able to do different things and be able to move around, not only his interactions with his owner, but his interactions with the other toys would be able to be, would be very interesting as you know, you could see how they're going to use his abilities to be able to be stretched around and morphed and into different shapes, into different abilities to be kind of stretch him around, use them as a slingshot, use them as other things and their adventures. So that's why I chose Stretch Armstrong. Plus I think with the with the um, losing of Woody, we kind of need a new centralized character that can play off of Buzz Lightyear. And I believe Stretch Armstrong can do that very well. All right, ending about three seconds early. Stretch Armstrong and the Funko Pops. Uh, five minute free form, don't talk over each other or I'll beat you with a stick. Uh, I'll come in for a one minute warning when the time comes. See, here's the problem I have with Stretch Armstrong. Stretch Armstrong is like, it, it's just not a name like Barbie or Mr. Potato Head that has that name recognizability that I'm going to care whether or not Stretch Armstrong is in the next Toy Story movie. Even if they went ahead and branded him as something else, uh, the fact of something that can just stretch like that, and the corn syrup can only go so far. So I don't really know what you're going to get out of a figurine like that. And anything that you need something to stretch or you need something that has some length to it, you got Slinky Dog, who is a classic and probably doesn't get as much recognition anyways. So I don't understand how a Stretch Armstrong is really going to be viable to you an see, ongoing Toy Story story. Yeah, I don't have that. And here's the thing with Funko Pops. It's not really going to be that interesting because we saw in Toy Story 2 already what happens when you have characters that can very much only be stuck in the box. And that's ah, what Funko ah, Pops But are. here's the difference there with that. See, if you're talking about Stinky Pete, Stinky Pete wanted to stay in the box because he wanted to go to Japan and he wanted to be recognized because no one played with him. What if you have a toy that doesn't want to be played with, period, because it knows it's a collectible. Funko Pop is pretty much the only big toy on the market right now that people want to go ahead and buy, if only to keep them in the box and put them on the shelf for, you know, for clout. If you go ahead and you start with a, a collection for Bonnie as she gets older and older and older and just starts having a wall of Funkos, but maybe there's one Funko that's kind of on the fence about whether or not it wants to stay in the box or if it wants to be played with, that's where the toys come into play. And when they're pretty much being ousted by this whole wall of, you know, cookie cutter figurines that have, mind you, a lot of branding possibilities and crossover possibilities of different uh, properties that could be brought from Disney into the Pixar stories. You have a lot to work with there. Stretch Armstrong you, you, is just you, you really nothing in comparison. 
Stretchon is is something in comparison because he's a toy that you actually want to play with, and that's what these movies are really about. These toys that play that are played with and are, are interacting with these characters, with the human characters, and with each other, and to completely change the DNA and the branding of Toy Story into something of what if it's a toy that doesn't want to be played with? What if it is? It isn't because at the end of the day, Funko Pops aren't even really branded as toys; they're branded as figurines. So to to and it just to have this. And other toys were branded as figures and dolls and action figures and such like that. The fact of the matter is, there are very few toys that you can actually put your hands on. But to talk about the whole idea of wanting to be played with, that is the whole idea of getting another movie. Because we've already had four movies where we've seen, oh, the toys want to be played with, the toys want to be played with. We know the toys want to be played with. If you want to do a whole other movie, you're going to have to give a twist to it that's going to make it interesting. And I think the twist of, oh, there are toys that don't want to be played with, we've already seen that in, too, with, with Stinky Pete, and we've also seen that. We've, we've no, 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 but Stinky Pete did want to be played Joe, with. Let, You're let twisting Joe, the narrative. Let Joe talk. You talked for a long time. We've already seen that with Stinky Pete. So knowing what happens when you don't want a toy to be played with, it's going to be just a retread of that. If the toys even try to convince the Funko Pops that they need to be played with, at that point, we're just going to get a retread of Toy Story 2. And I don't think we need a retread of Toy Story 2. If we're going to go forward with the movie, we need something to understand that, well, yes, Woody's gone. What can replace him? And I don't think toys that don't want to be played with are a good replacement for a Woody character going forward in this story, in this story and franchise. But why does Woody need to be replaced? He doesn't. You already have two big main characters. You have the power couple of Buzz and Jesse pretty much leading the toys, plus every single toy addition that's been added to Bonnie's collection since the third movie. There are so many toys that aren't even being talked about or being utilized. We don't need to add a whole other one that's just going to be lost in the pile and just going to be there for right. convenience. Give me something that's thing. actually going to push the narrative. That's here's going to create thing. a story that's worth need, talking about. We don't need replacement toys, and we and we have toys that haven't even been explored yet. One you want to add a whole bunch of Funko Pops that aren't going to be played with. Now that's where the issue is. You're starting to walk over yourself. If you're saying that we have toys that don't even need to be explored and you want to bring in all these other Funko Pops, stretches one character that we can explore and figure out his utility as a toy because what if we even do that with his utility as a toy and the toys wanting to be and being played with in a different way we can explore that with the Funko Pops just being on a shelf they're more of a talking piece and it would become a more dialogue driven movie and that's not what Toy Story is Toy Story is a very fun action movie it's not a dialogue driven movie because if you were saying listening to what I was saying before if you start off with one that's kind of on the fence, but then Bonnie just keeps collecting them and collecting them and collecting them. There's like a whole hive mind that's just waiting to just be displayed, but one of them wants to be played with. They want to pull him back. The other toys want to pull him into play. He's the crux of the whole story. And before you know it, you've got like a toys versus zombie sort of apocalypse with the Funkos. Time. All right, Joe, you get to close uh, your argument first. You have one minute when you start talking. All right. So what Ryan was saying with the Funkos really doesn't make sense because we're going to create a dialogue-driven movie. But with Stretch Armstrong being brought in, we have more of an action character, a character that can really be played around with and can play bounce off the toys very well. With the Funkos, I don't think they can be introduced without returning Toy Story from what it was, a fun action movie with these action set pieces, into a very dialogue. Even if you create this hive mind of we don't want to be played with, you still just have Funkos in boxes that can't really move around, and it wouldn't be a very interesting dynamic to look at or very visually interesting. And when 
you're talking about Toy Story and you want these toys to be moved around, to be played with, to be visually interesting, Stretch Armstrong and his abilities can do that more than Funkos ever can. And then just the branding of the Funkos would be a nightmare as well. And we've already seen the different Funkos and how they interact and how they interact as their own characters and their own franchises. So we have that for that. We don't need that. But Green Stretch Armstrong and would be able to create this new dynamic with all the toys involved and have this new character that to enjoy and play with them. All right. Uh, we move on to Ryan for his closing. Ryan, you have one minute when you start talking. Stretch Armstrong is a nothing character. Anything that Stretch Armstrong can, can do, there are already toys in Bonnie's collection that can do the same thing. There's no purpose for Stretch Armstrong to be there. He's not going to push the story. There's no narrative that's going to be able to be, you know, making me want to see another Toy Story movie. But if you have this whole idea of Bonnie growing up, growing out of her toys, putting them on the shelf, not playing with them, and the Funkos are fine with that, but the old toys are not, and you have that divide, and you have some, well, at least one Funko to cross the line, that makes it interesting. And to say that they're just going to be sitting on the box, they can be bouncing in the boxes. Think about the whole army of boxes just, like, attacking the toys, hitting them off. You know, it, there is dynamic action that can happen if done properly with them still being contained. But the idea is, if I'm going to see another Toy Story movie after four of them, it better be a story that's going to keep me captivated and it's going to have a message like all four other ones have. You don't need to replace Woody. You already have enough characters to lead the story. Just give me Hi. something new. All right. I uh, I was unaware that... Um, I don't know about Cody, you, and Lucas. I was unaware that Toy Story was such this heralded action franchise, uh, but apparently, apparently, not real. Apparently, it's a uh, very action packed. Uh, okay, uh, we all have our votes. Yeah. Yep. Okay, I'm gonna go first. Um, this was weird. I thought this was a little weird. Um, this didn't go how I thought it was gonna go, but ultimately, I, I went with Ryan. Um, I think that Ryan did a good job of taking down Stretch Armstrong, saying there's already characters who do that. We don't need a replacement for Woody. We already have characters that are big like Buzz and Jesse, and we already have a character that does everything you're saying Stretch is going to do. Uh, and I liked his pitch of the of the whole, like, Funko Pop 1 doesn't know if they want to be played with or if they want to stay in the buy. I liked that pitch, and honestly, I didn't hear much Joe spent a lot of his time attacking the the Funko Pops, and I thought Ryan did a pretty good job of defending it and didn't spend a lot of time talking about Stretch Armstrong in a positive way. I thought Ryan took Stretch Armstrong down pretty easily, but Cody clearly disagrees with me, so this is how this always goes. So, Cody, you go ahead. I would love somebody to go back and tell us how many times we disagree on the first question. I want it's all, Joe. It's every time. Because I think overall, I think Joe handled the best. So both arguments brought up two characters. They've tried this way different ways. And I think Joe did the best way of describing how useless the Funko Pops really will be. And basically, Ryan pitched Toy Story 2 to me. Like, one wants to break out, wants to do something else, and the other just wants to, like, they want to stay collectibles. I felt like... I wanted, I thought as soon as Slinky Dog was brought up, Stretch Armstrong is destroyed. But how he described it to me works within the franchise perfectly for me. How Funko will just be like that one-off thing that happens, but no actual character. So, 
Plus Funko Pops pissed me off, but I didn't vote him <laughs> just for the sake. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Love him, Cody. Love him. Two votes for Joe. <laughs> All right, uh, Lucas, you get to decide this one. Yeah, this was. Um, it got very weird and um, got a lot of arguing about functionality of toys in a toy universe. Um, I basically threw out everything before the closing arguments because I feel like it flipped back and it flipped back and forth. But I thought it was roughly even at that point. And when we got to the closing arguments, Ryan gave me the better pitch on what his movie was and what he was trying to make. I think that Joe made a good argument for the character. Ryan made a good argument for the character and the movie that the character would be in. So that's why I uh, give my point to Ryan. My pen right. betrayed me. You betrayed me, Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so Ryan wins point number one. Uh, we are going to move on to question number two, which comes in the category of coming of age slash teen. This was chosen by Joe. Uh, the question is... What pre-2000s coming-of-age movie should be remade with a current-day twist? Uh, so, we are going to start with Joe as he drafted this. Joe, you have one minute when you start talking. So, the movie I chose is 1998's um, Edge of 17. For those of you who don't know what Edge of 17 is, it is about a teenager named Eric who is uh, turn who is going into a senior year of high school, and he's very coming to terms with his sexuality and uh, trying to navigate that as he um, realizes that he is a gay man. And so, the modern-day twist that um, I am having on this movie is that he is going to be exploring his sexuality during the age of dating apps so he will be using stuff like tinder and bumble and grinder and kind of trying to navigate that and then also realizing that as he's you know ready to come out and ready to come into his own that with the age of dating apps there are a lot of people who are going through the same struggles as him but are in a different sphere where like he'll meet up with someone on a dating app and then they'll just be like no one can know about this i'm not out like da 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 and then he's going to start navigating how the dating app world is going to affect not only him as a teenager coming into his own in the dating world but also as a gay man navigating this new dynamic in our social media age Time. All right, we'll move over to Ryan. Ryan, you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. So the movie I got was actually a movie that I didn't even see on my own. I saw it in school because we were reading the book, and that would be the 1980s classic, The Outsiders, uh, pretty much the start of the Brad Pack era uh, with uh, all the big names that you had starting off between this little gang rivalry between uh, poor kids and, well, poor black, white kids and rich white kids. Um, great story, great movie, but obviously it's a little one-sided as far as, um, you know, inclusivity. So the twist I would have is that as if you're going to talk about outsiders, then you have to have like a whole lot of different people involved in this. It's not just against rich and poor. It's about, you know, it can be about race. It can be about uh, gender identity. It can be about uh, social status, sure, but it could also be about religious issues. It doesn't necessarily have to be two gangs. You could have three, maybe even four different units all having to feel like they are outsiders from one another and from society. Time. All right. Uh, the non-Haley Steinfeld Edge of 17 movie versus The Outsiders. Uh, you guys have five minutes when one of you starts talking. 
All right, so you see the issue with the with your updating the outsiders with that modern twist is the outsiders is so intrinsic intrinsical to that class issue. And with your modern twist of it not being about, about that class issue, then you really get away from what the point of the outsiders is as this whole entire movie. While with my movie, by adding this by adding this modern update of dating and of the dating app age, you actually add something to it and you add this extra layer to it. But but you don't really add anything by taking you're more or less taking away from the outsiders when you're no longer talking about the class structure and the class warfare between the socias and the greasers right and your movie is essentially love simon you know it's been done with a gay man trying to find himself in high school before he comes out to the people that he loves and you know obviously a little bit more of a conservative side from his father and certainly the internet does play its well, well into it with the you know the use of the emails back and forth and messages so exactly how is this movie that you're making so much different so much stranger so much of an update that we haven't already seen before at least what i'm talking about with the outsiders you're basically taking what's the best of like things like 13 or you know kids or things like that and you're really going ahead and blowing it up all you need is just one side to kill someone from the other side and that pushes the narrative of the movie Outside of that, you can go ahead and you can have Pony Boy or Dallas or Johnny or Cherry be any combination of different kinds of people. And thus, the people who are outsiders feel more inside, feel more involved, and feel more connected. More people would want to see this than a bunch of white boys, white boys fighting. But here's the whole thing. That's so what you're saying is you're still keeping the class warfare in, but just making them different. That's not really a modern twist or a modern update to it. You're just saying let's let's cast it. It is a modern up. update because it hasn't been talked about from back then. The movie was set in the what the fifties and it was done in the eighties. You know, nothing like that has had any kind of like modern update, has had an update that really is going to make people. But what you are saying with your movie is that we're keeping the class warfare structure, but just creating a racially blind cl class. That's not really updating the movie. That's just saying, let's make the cast racially blind, which cool is can be done. But that doesn't really answer the question of giving it a more modern twist. Mine at least has that modern twist, because when it's talking about in the 90s, they didn't have that in area. What you have Eric going through is he's going to these gay bars and these gay clubs and sneaking in. But with this whole dating app thing he can go on the dating apps he can explore that way and maybe he sees people in his life that you know are anti-gay that he knows like now he has to keep these secrets and he's struggling with this like oh what's it like you know like to like self-loathing and stuff like that like people who are very much lying about themselves to themselves and identities you're not only exploring who eric is a person you're also exploring these other you're exploring other people and what they believe because we now know as an audience that there are these people who are on these dating apps that are specifically for gay men and that they're like publicly not that but with your movie it's not really updating it to the modern thing it's just creating a racially blind cast from what you've been pitching see i, I can't agree with that because i feel that by mo by modernizing the cast itself by modernizing the characters and making them an amalgamation of whatever structure you want to go ahead and put up or down from one another because it's not necessarily rich or poor it could be like gay, straight, trans, it could have a th trifecta sort of thing. It could be, you know, a varying races depending on the location that you shoot in. It doesn't even need to be set nowadays. You could go ahead and like, you know, set it in the 90s and you could still have that kind of like structure to it. But I think by doing it modern now in this day and age where we've had so much go on in the past year and there's so much like pent up uh, tension between race and uh, you know wealth inequality and obviously there's the religious issues especially with what we got going on in Afghanistan you have so many different conflicts you could 
cherry pick what you'd want to put into this movie and it would work so long as the main narrative of the you know the warring factions the death and the maturity of going home and owning up to your issues stays intact what you're talking about has been done completely by other movies i mean call me by your name i'd say it was more artistic about it but if you want to go with the cyber route again love simon and even the television show love victor and pretty much any show that has like a gay male protagonist has gone down this road it's not anything new and and what you're saying with your updating there isn't there's stuff like the kite runner that explores you know youth with the issues with, with and it does more than that with, with the issues of that you also have st- shows like we're getting the updated west side story with the race issues so what you're picking and saying that you're you're cherry picking issues you're not really modernly updating it. you never gave a clear picture to how you are updating it you have just said this is what we could do when you haven't really gave the true update to it and that's what i haven't heard from you this entire thing Okay, so let's go ahead with a modern update then. If I wanted to go ahead and say cast someone like Pony Boy, I've got three names right here: Michael Cimino, uh, who's uh, LGBTQ rights, uh, Storm Reed, black woman, uh, Jaden Martell from it movies. Perfect castings. Then you could go ahead and make anything Hi. around them. Around them, strike it from the record. Uh, Ryan, you get to close first. You have one minute when you start talking. See, I interpreted the question as taking a movie and giving it a modern twist. If as long as you take the narrative itself and keep it as such with, you know, the death, which is the main crux of things, and you have, uh, say, a, a warring faction of rich black people, or you have a, a warring faction of, uh, you know, poor Indian people who are just trying to get by or something, as long as you make it something that is not just a simple whitewash or just talking about, you know, first world problems like that, you make a story that is modernized. And, and as far as I'm concerned, The Outsiders is a story that could use a modern take. It really isn't something that we've seen a lot because it's usually one side is like completely poor and downtrodden, but they're violent. And then the other side just goes ahead and calls the police on them. We don't need that. We want. I want to see them actually handle their own issues. And with this movie, you can do that. You can see them handling it at a young age and become more and better mature people. Time. All right. We move over to Joe for his closing. One minute when you start talking. All right. But with modern updating my movie, with creating that whole dichotomy of now he is on the internet, he's exploring himself, not just publicly, but also privately in his own private life, you get more layers of, is he going to present himself in a certain way publicly because he's still navigating himself, or is he going to be true his true authentic self? You bring up Love, Simon, but Love, Simon does it differently because he's still hiding himself, in t- he's still hiding himself at certain points in the movie. But throughout this movie, Eric is just still exploring himself, but he's also open and proud. What you're doing with your movie is, isn't really a modern update. You're creating racially blind cast in the very part of of the outsiders is the class warfare the class inequality and to take that away from it is not really modern updating it it's narrowing and it's taking away at what the base of it by uh, with adding a digital component to edge of 17 you are actually adding nuance and layers as i brought up before because now you have him exploring himself and under and not understanding if what he's doing being an out and proud man is right or if or if he should hide himself like these other people are when he that he's interacting with online all right, let's bring in the L Judge Joes. Um, everybody good to go? Um, Lucas, you get to kick this one off. So I will say, I'm not going to hold this against Joe, but there is a massive flaw in his argument, which is that teenagers are not allowed on apps like Grindr 
Tinder, or Bumble. Um, so technically, anyone of the age of 18 is not allowed on them. I won't hold that against him. I will say, um, I think Joe said it best in the closing when he said to Ryan, you didn't really pitch an update. You sort of pitched 40 different updates. And I didn't really hear a clear indication of what he wanted to do. I don't necessarily think Joe's pitch is a particularly great update, but I think he gave me one clear idea of what he wanted to do. And I'm going to lean Joe because of that. Um, I agree with Lucas. I went Joe. I thought that Ryan's uh, Love Simon uh, attack off the bat was really good, and that was about it. Um, there, the rest of it, I thought Joe totally dominated it. Um, talked about why this would be an interesting way to update. The, I haven't seen either movies, if I'm being honest. I never saw The Outsiders. I've seen this. I'm sorry. I know I need to watch it. Um, so, but based on what I heard. Um, Joe completely sold me on his movie and then also completely tore apart how understanding what Ryan was going for but never like narrowing down exactly what the modern update was besides just like adding in the uh, different uh, classes in there so um, Joe wins the point Cody your vote doesn't count where are you going why um, yeah, so I also went Joe. Um, the thing is, I think if Ryan would have just stuck with like a theme and just continued with it, he had a shot. I actually hated the Love of Simon argument because I think then you can just go through the time and say, well, this race war movie, and like you just discredit everything of getting the modern update. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I think I think Joe overall sold it really well and did um, a job, great job of handling the draft. Yep. All right. So uh, Joe does win that point. We are going to move on uh, to question number three. We are tied. So question number three uh, is in the category of horror chosen by Ryan. The question is, what horror movie should get a new direct sequel a la 2018's Halloween and 2021's Candyman? Uh, so we are going to start with ryan as he drafted this ryan you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking so in the same vein as the two movies that were mentioned i had to think back to a movie where or even a series where i liked the first one or maybe even the first or second one but everything afterwards kind of just like you know fell off which for horror that's happens a lot but one thing i noticed that we've gotten in horror lately that we you know, have maybe leaned a little bit too much on is the fact that, oh, these these ghosts or these ethereal beings or just a, a simple slasher like Michael Myers just seems to be more of the norm. When was the last time we had a horror movie that really had, like, a creature, like a, a real, horrible, scary entity? Something that's visually threatening as well as murderous. That's why I went with Pumpkinhead. Because I loved the first movie with Lance Hendrickson. I thought it was a really nice story. I thought the character of the monster itself really struck out on its own. But the sequels died out. Time. All right. We move over to Joe. Joe, you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. 
So I went with the creature from the Black Lagoon. Now, the creature from the Black Lagoon ends with the creature being shot into the depths, and he's bleeding out as he gets into the murky water. And then 1955's Revenge of the Creature brings him back, but it's not very, it's kind of stupid. So what I'm doing is we're getting rid of that. And with the Revenge, and with this new update, it has been decades. It has been decades since that creature has got sunk to the murky depths. He has become much more of a legend than he was an actual thing. The scientist who, who encountered him refused to talk about him. So it becomes this whole mysterious more thing. But when we when he comes back due to when he comes back in this, it's going to be much more effective as he's as these land developments and these the creature, the black lagoon is being encroached on, and we get to see this new update with these new scientists and things, and it's going to be a much more poignant update in this more modern uh, in the modern ter terms of it. So Creature from the Black Lagoon deserves a direct sequel, uh, and that is why I picked it for all those reasons. All right. I took myself out on accident. Uh, so, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Pumpkinhead, you guys have five minutes when one of you starts talking. So, the Creature from the Black Lagoon, obviously with this new movie that you're doing, um, at what point does it just become the shape of water? Because when you look at the first movie, for as much as you want to talk about like there actually being a guy in like a gill man suit, it was essentially a love story because he ended up obsessed with the woman on the expedition and kidnaps her and <laughs> tries to take her into the depths with him. So how, how is there going to be anything good about like just going ahead and being like, you know, trying to retread the King Kong uh, formula of going to find the creature. You bring him back to the modern society all caged up. That's not He's what going to fall in love with someone again. That is not what I said. I said we were talking about this land development, how the Black Lagoon, you know, it's been this pristine area that no one has decided to touch. So we're going to see that's what brings him back is the disturbance to his resting place in the watery, in the watery grave of the Black Lagoon as these land developers. And I'm sorry, it's not the shape of water because in the shape of water, she falls in love with him willingly. The, from, the creature from the Black Lagoon is not a love story at all. I don't know what movie you were watching when you when you saw the creature from the Black Lagoon, but it's not All he does story. is skulk around and try to get the woman. That's what a lot of monster movies did that far back. But that's not a love story. That is very much a stalker thriller movie with the creature. And with I the, love with his perspective. Yeah. But you see, but you, it's not a love story. But you see with this, when the creature from the Black Lagoon, when he starts coming back and the and they start asking, they're just like, what do you know about this? And the scientists refuse to say anything. And they're just telling them, we warned you. This is why you don't go in there. And they're just like, what are you warning us about? And they're just like, You've disturbed this. This is your mess to clean up. And much like for the first part of it, we don't really get to see the creature. We get to see it's more of this whole start. You get the sense of tread, of, of, of tension and suspense and thrillers. Wait, 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 wait. For half the movie, you don't even see the creature. So now it's Godzilla. Now, now, now we're being toyed around with a monster that we're not even going to visually see. That isn't even that threatening, to be honest. I mean, we're talking about a monster that went ahead and got shot by the fat kid in Monster Squad by one shotgun shell and died out right there. That is the Monster Squad. That's not what we're talking about. We were talking the creature from the Black Lagoon. You were bringing semantics and other movies. Right, so he got <laughs> shot and died into the water. At least yeah. with my character, with, my, with Pumpkinhead, bulletproof, fireproof, you can't kill him unless you kill the person that summoned him. And he's a definitely a more galvanizing monster in comparison. The guy was just a one in a gill suit. Pumpkinhead is a gigantic skeletal being with long nails and claws, will choke you, throw you, will pierce you with his nails, and 
He's a spirit of vengeance. He's a spirit of revenge. It, it's a whole narrative that you can actually tell with the story. Someone else can go ahead and be like, well, they killed my son or they killed my mom and pop and I want revenge. So give me Pumpkinhead. Let me so rise him from the grave. And then he learns as he is corrupted by the entity himself, turning into the next monster himself. He realizes the error of his ways. The other movies in the series fell off of that completely. No one was really going ahead and feeling the pain and you know, agony of what the monster was doing, but this, you would feel it. You, well, there's really no story worth going ahead and bringing in the creature that you're not even gonna have for half the movie, whereas mine is killing people constantly. All right, but killing people constantly, that's cool, but but when you're creating tension and suspense, water is such a, it just, the water itself is such, a, and oceans and bodies of water are such this interesting thing in this ecoscope, in this ecosystem. But yours, uh, we've had, yours just sounds like it's going to just be very much a retread of the first movie, but just being just like, oh, plopping it, we're taking someone who has a connection to the character of the first, and we're bringing him in. With mine, you're, you're getting an update, you're getting a direct sequel, you're seeing what happened to him as he, you know, as he, as he hides oh, away. Well, mind you can get a sequel too as well, because unlike some other horror movies, and much in the same vein as Halloween, Lance Hendricks is still alive. His body was the one that was used for the old pumpkin head for, you know, to replace the body. We haven't seen a pumpkin head come up one since minute. then that maybe has some cognitive ability. We haven't seen a pumpkin head that maybe is still has the spirit of the person who feels regret and is maybe telling the guy, please don't do this. Don't make me do this. I want you to do it. Boom. Bah, slice, claw, throw, viscera. It's a horror movie. I'm supposed to be scared of this monster. I would be scared of Pumpkinhead, and certainly the person who summoned him would be scared of what was going on because he didn't expect it to be as bad. And you got the voice of Henriksen telling him, this is what happens when you want vengeance. This is what happens when you want revenge. It's not pretty. Yours is just going to be like a cautionary tale. Hey, don't develop here, elemental stuff. Uh, you know, What am I supposed to be scared by? You're supposed to be scared of the monster, what he's doing, what he's able to do, what he's able to do with, with now that his, his environment, he had decades to see what happens, to see how he evolves. And now we're seeing the evolution of the creature from the Black Lagoon and how much more he's been able to do in this time. Time. Well, but how exactly is he evolving? In time, time, time. All right, um, Joe, you get to close your argument first. You have one minute when you start talking. We've had 60 years to see him evolve in this Black Lagoon with this pristine condition since no one's gone there before. He's now more, he can be more fish-like, he can be more monstrous-like, and you know, you know, he sees the dangers of humanity, and now he doesn't want anything to do with them. That's what you're getting. With Pumpkinhead, you know, being this cautionary revenge tale, we get cautionary revenge tales all the time. Well, yes, you could even say that mine's a cautionary environmental tale. Yeah, well, yes, we do get those, but this would be more about, this is what happens when you know, when you leave nature untamed, and you try to tame it again, this is what's going to happen. Cautionary tales about vengeance, we see them, they're a dime a dozen, we get them. Well, yes, being more into the into environmentalism is very popular in today's thing. There we, we every time we see it, we always see it as humanity, as as in is in native indigenous tribes. So this would be truly a monster, a monster of, of what happens with the evolutionary of stuff when it when it can be untouched by man in terms of nature itself, not just cultures. And that's and that is what I am pitching with the creature from the black room direct sea. All right, ending about five seconds early. We'll move over to Ryan. Ryan, you have one minute to close when you start talking.
you're pitching a horror sequel where the monster doesn't show up for the first half of the movie. You didn't describe how uh, threatening it's going to be, just that it's going to evolve, but you didn't say how it's going to evolve. So if I'm not scared from the monster in the first movie, why would I even think I would be scared of the monster in the second movie? At least in the first movie, with all the practical effects that they went ahead and made that creature come alive, imagine what they could do with a mix of practical and CGI, bringing Pumpkinhead all new into a modern era and still have you know some semblance to the original movie with the connection of Hendrickson there. To have a direct sequel for something that you know had a great concept, but maybe VHS or DVDs, you know, threw it away. I want to see a cautionary tale that is actually going to scare me. Your creature from the Black Lagoon is not going to scare me. I don't even know if it would scare the environment, but you know what? Having something come after me because I screwed up, something that gigantic, that fierce, that bloody looking, that creature will scare me. Time. All right. Well, I'm scared. Um, Cody, you get to go first. I don't know if this is the exact quote, but I want to make this on the record that you should not say this, that love is subjective. Um, if it's a stalking and somebody comes at you, you need to uh, call your local authorities. That's not okay. Uh, but on the on the reverse, I did go with Ryan. I think Ryan overall pitched a better horror movie when the breakdown. I think, uh, uh, I think The Shape of Water was a really stupid no offense. Um, but overall, I think that you did. Uh, uh, he kind of pitched more of a thriller, which I think horror can be thriller. But when I'm looking what drafted, I'm looking just basically at the horror. And he talked about a lot of blood, talked about a lot of. Uh, so it scared me. So Ryan gets my point. All right. Uh, Lucas, where are you going anyway? So I think the really important point that was made very late in the arguments was. If we're going to pitch this round, the question is specifically referencing a sequel to an original movie, a la something like Halloween. And I think Ryan made a really good point when he connected it using Lance Henriksen and being able to connect it to the original film. Um, Joe pitched a sequel to The Creature from the Black Lagoon, but there's really no way to do that sort of sequel to Creature Like the Lagoon. And he didn't even really make a good argument for why, just because it's so far back in the, in the past that there's no way to really connect that in the same way. I think that Ryan just pitched a better sequel in fitting with the question. All right. Um, so Ryan does get the point. I actually would have also gone Ryan uh, is what I did. So uh, yeah, I think that like Lucas, that um, Lance Hendrickson thing bringing it. I've never even heard of Punk. I, I love horror. <gasps> I'm telling you, I've never seen it, never even heard of it. Uh, so I'm interested. I'm not now. going to. I'm, in, I'm interested. <laughs> but um, I agree with Lucas. The, the big thing of connecting it back really hit for me. So um, I gave Ryan the point. So we move on to question number four. Uh, Joe does need to hit this in order to stay in it. If Ryan hits this, Ryan will be the winner. So uh, lots of stuff could happen. Okay. Your question is from the category of Marvel slash MCU. Pick any character in a non-comic book fandom movie to add to the end battle of Endgame that would be the best help. Uh, so, uh, Joe, you drafted this, correct? Yes, so you'll be going first. You have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. 
All right, so I decided to go with Dumbledore from um, the uh, Wizarding World, and he is going to be fighting alongside our Avengers against Thanos and his, and his army. As you've seen that we have these very powerful mystical arts characters that really were able to help out with, you know, with Doctor Strange and Scarlet Witch. And so adding another high-powered sorcerer to that in the form of Dumbledore is going to be very, is going to be very powerful and be able to, you know, kind of be able to back off with, as we seen when he was fighting all the, um, in theory and the sixth movie with the, be able to create the giant wall of fire. He can do that. He also has, he's the master of the elder wand, the most powerful wand in existence. So he has that going for him. He is a master of magic. He is there for the long haul, the long battles, as we saw, as we've heard with how long his historic duel with Geller Grindelwald was. So when he, so he can make sure that they are ready for the long haul, the long fight. He has healing spells. He has all this ability. He can be not just an offensive, also support and a defensive player for the Avengers and their allies. All right. Move over to Ryan. Ryan, you have one minute when you start talking. So Joe went ahead and picked somebody for the Avengers. I went the other way. I picked somebody to help Thanos. If you look at the whole of Thanos' army, whether it's uh, the millions of little creatures that are like, you know, come from the pods and attack everybody, or simply the Black Order, which of uh, Proxima Midnight, uh, Corvus Glaive, Cull Obsidian, all big brutes kind of like Thanos himself, durable, strong, but there's only one person, like, say, an Ebony Maw, someone with uh, powers, actual powers, someone with uh, telekinesis, uh, someone who can float and fly, someone who was actually capable of taking down the Sorcerer Supreme when they first met him. So who is someone, space-oriented, who has a power set similar, if not better, than Maw's in order to edge out and balance out that side? who would be fine with you know listening to someone like Thanos and doing as he says, has war experience, can do battle. Darth Vader, of course. Time. All right, Darth Vader versus Dumbledore. One of you, it's a tie, it's a pipe bomb. Okay, uh, five <laughs> minutes when one of you starts talking. I wasn't going to bring that up, but yes, Dumbledore is bringing that pipe bomb with him. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so something with Dumbledore, also we know he has the power of the Imperius Curse. He could start Imperius cursing Thanos' own allies, or even as we've seen, Thanos can be manipulated, as we saw with Mantis being able to do. If you get Dumbledore with a non-Infinity Gauntlet Thanos in that final battle with a good Imperius Curse, it's over right then and there. Thanos has been Imperius, and he can just be like, you know what, go home, don't interact with Earth anymore. Like, See, right there. here's the problem with Dumbledore, though. He's an elderly man with a wand. When you really break it down to it, no matter what magic he can use, he, if he loses the wand, that's most of his magic ability right there. It's all in the Elder Wand. And the fact that he is really just not a man of battle. He's a man of war. Yeah, fine. He can talk well. He can plan and strategize. But if you're going to have a battle that's going to be like happening right now and you throw him into the middle of it, he is ill-prepared and he's going to get himself killed long before anybody else. At least someone who later has the war experience, the battle experience, and can actually fight on the front lines, regardless of what's being attacked at him. But as we even saw in the fifth movie, you say that he's not prepared. With the battle in the ministries and the in the prophecies, he was not well prepared for that. And he was able to go in and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Voldemort 
at that time. And with Vader, Vader has, suits has a lot of electronics in it. Good shot from Thor with, with Stormbreaker. If he's not expecting Stormbreaker, you just have to get Vader in a, in a combat situation to where he where he can have his electronics fried and it's over for him. You have all these people with these either lightning-based powers or, or, or portal-based powers where Vader, he tosses his lightsaber it's going into a portal. You toss this, you, anything like that. You With Vader, he's very easily counterable by just the members who are already going to be there. Add in Dumbledore to that mix, being able to, you know, do all these spells and stuff, and it's going to be over for Thanos and his army. Vader's a good... Vader is is a good... is not a good choice for this thing because he's so easy counterable by everyone else. You're assuming that he's counterable by everybody else. He's probably the only person within that whole spectrum who's actually had wartime experience, except for maybe Thor, yes. And even then, what? Thor's going to go in and aim for the head of Stormbreaker? Force stop. He's going to go ahead and shoot lightning at him? That the Vader can go ahead and supply himself, even if the suit himself overloads. He is you know, fully capable of having enough durability. Mind you, that armor can take a hit from a lightsaber. You really think Thor's lightning is going to do that much more than uh, Force Lightning did? Even when Force Lightning from the Emperor got him, he was still going. You can't stop a being like Vader. And yes, you with Vader, you get the Force powers, you get the lightsaber. He can come in even as a personalized TIE fighter and just start blasting everyone down if you wanted to. What's uh, Dumbledore going to be riding in on? The, the, the Phoenix? He's going to be holding on to it? No. Is he bringing the sword to Gryffindor? No. He's just going to be an old man with a wand who's going to get mixed up with the oh, sword. No, if you're you. going to say that he can't bring the sword of Gryffindor or Fox, then you're then then Vader therefore could not bring could not bring his Tie Fighter. Your argument is very. If you're saying that Vader can come in on his Tie Fighter, you have to assume that that also that Dumbledore is going to be coming in with all of his bag of tricks as well. So right there, well, there. What other bag of tricks does he have? Because he aside from that, like I said, if he loses the wand, he's inept. All right, we're talking about beings who went ahead and took on the Sorcerer Supreme. You're telling me Dumbledore is more strong than the Sorcerer Supreme who got kidnapped in Infinity War? All right, there is enough of a balance there. He's not going to be a help to the Avengers. Yes, Whereas Vader is. can go ahead and compliment Ma and really give a more of a power-packed attack rather than a physical assault. You see, but the whole thing is, as we've even seen with Vader in his own movies, he does more physical combat than he does using his his force powers. And so, for you to say that we're going, yeah, it was a cool. Yeah, but you're trying to pitch a Vader that we haven't seen in the movie, so we can't really do that. Do that pitching a Vader that uses all oh, the force powers. I think we saw it in Rogue One when he went ahead and was assaulting the uh, Rebel attack. Everything that was shot at him deflected. People swung in and out of that alleyway. You put him in against people, One you minute. put him against a warring army, you will have a Vader that can hold his own. I don't believe that Dumbledore is going to be able to hold his own while he's going like this and this and this. And if you know, someone just goes ahead and knocks the wand out of it, he's crawling around on the ground looking for it. Well, his bag of tricks compares nothing to what you get with the Sorcerer Supreme and all the people that work under Strange. Which is why I said he's going to compliment them and be able to help them with Vader. He's not going to compliment them because his magic is going to be a completely different kind of magic than what they do. He doesn't do symbols or anything like that. He does incantations. Uh, will he even be able to hear himself with all the ruckus that's going around? Yes, he would be able to. As we've seen, we've heard about his, his accolades during the first World Wizarding War, and you're saying that he's not going to be able to compete like that. Well, but we have seen that, and we, and we have. Invader can easily be countered by your things. You're saying that he can't because of all of his force abilities, but you get him distracted, he's not going to be all able right. to do that. All right, we are going to start with uh, Ryan. Ryan, you have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. 
We're talking about people that are going to help in the final battle of Endgame. We're talking about people who need to help their respective sides, not just protect the people that are on their side, but also decimate the other side. Dumbledore is not a warrior. He is not a fighter like that. He is a good strategist. He's a good planner, but he is not someone that you throw into a battle to fight. He couldn't even take care of uh, Voldemort because he doesn't have that killer instinct. Vader does. Vader will slaughter any type of hero that comes at him, regardless of what powers that they have. He could even he could evenly be on par with uh, Wanda with as far as force powers are concerned. He is one of the most devastating generals you have ever seen in wartime, regardless of space or on land. So don't act like he wouldn't even be able to command the masses that are under Thanos' rule, if need be. Him plus Ma working their side, and Thanos and the other brutes working their side, you have enough firepower to really take on the Avengers and win. Time. All right, move over to Joe. Joe, you have one minute when you start talking. Oh, you say that you say that Dumbledore is a good strategist, but not a good fighter, so that's why he wouldn't be useful. But then you try to bring in um, Vader's strategy into it with how he would lead. Therefore, that negates your argument right there. You can't have it both ways. You can't say because Dumbledore is a good strategist, but not a good fighter, that he wouldn't be helpful because his strategies would be useful. Because if Vader's strategy is useful, then you can obviously assume Dumbledore's strategies are going to be useful as he's helping out with this fight. Well, yes, Vader would be useful for an offensive front. Yes, he's not very useful for a defense or a utilitarian front. Um, Dumbledore would be able to assist with protection spells, with protection incantations. He would be able to do distance fighting, which Vader is very much more close quarters combat oriented. So you get them at a distance, you'd be able to get Dumbledore at a distance using Fiend Fire, using all of these different spells, using Imperius, using Crucio. Maybe even Dumbledore will throw out the Killing Curse if he feels it. He has all these powerful tools and arsenals and his spells. And you're saying that his arsenal is not as large as Vader's with the Force, but it is as large as, as Vader's. And he's a great strategist as well. And you're saying that Vader's a great strategist, and so is Dumbledore. So you can't dump their Dumbledore's just edges them out. Oh boy. Uh, um, Have I ever told you how happy I am I'm not playing fandom anymore? I didn't know that. We gotta talk after this. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, this is oh, this argument hurt my head. Dumbledore! Oh god, stop. No. Snape. All right, I'm not just gonna go. I'm gonna go with my you, not I'm, Hermione. You yeah. I'm gonna go with my gut, and if I get bitched at, I'm sorry. This is what I'm feeling, so I'm going with it. Okay, we're all good. Sure. I'm going with Ryan. Um, I thought that Ryan, his whole thing of. Dumbledore not being good on the offensive. We're looking for the battle. Also adding in the thing of the Sorcerer Supreme and all of the sorcerers that are there being not necessarily exactly the same as Dumbledore, but basically having similar skill sets, whereas Vader and Maw as the generals of this army would be able to match up with the strongest Avengers and could take out any of them. I, that, that worked for me. Um, I don't know why, and I feel like I'm totally wrong here with Cody, apparently, but we will go to Cody next. Uh, that's that's where I went. So. so I feel like there was a lot of missed opportunities and made me want to jump in and debate this, because this one, there was one character that's a complete bullshit that has so many mood swings and has been taken out and then 
tried to redeem himself numerous times. Easy enough. Could have killed Vader. No questions asked. Then there was Dumbledore. And I'm I'm just questioning if everybody's seen Harry Potter and, like, who this man really is. There was just a lot of, like, man, like, when people say, the Beatles is the best band. Fuck that. Beatles suck. Why? I don't fucking know. They just fucking suck. Like, you have no counterpoint for it. You're just saying, he, oh, he's a terrible strat. This man knows everything before it happens. He plans out the events years in advance. I went with Joe because uh, basically every time he said my strategy would work as Vader but fuck Dumbledore's strategy. Why? That doesn't work. Like, if one strategy works, the other works. I think Joe just handled it all the way through this entire fight. But I'm probably wrong. because. Alright, Lucas, where are you going? Um, so I think the most impactful part of the argument was the closing by Joe when he really broke down the power sets. Now, I don't necessarily agree that Dumbledore would use unforgivable curses, um, but I think he did a good job countering a lot of Ryan's points about Dumbledore and sort of breaking down why Dumbledore is actually the one who has more abilities and more weapons to use in the battlefield. I lean slightly, Joe. All right, so that means we are tied and moving on to the speed round. Sudden death. Here's how it's going to work. Um, I'm going to take out Lucas and Cody. Um, I will stay on screen for this. Uh, what we have done is we've randomized the things and come up with a category and a question uh, to give to you guys on the spot. I'm going to say the question, uh, and then I'm going to repeat the question a second time. After I have repeated it, you can then say an answer. Whoever says their answer first will be going first in the debate. Each person will get 45 seconds. 45 seconds, then the first person will get 30 seconds, and the second person will get 30 seconds, and then we will vote. It'll be very quick. You can use your time however you want. You don't have to all talk about all your thing, their thing, whatever. You can use your time however you want. Do we understand how this is going to work? Yes. Okay. So the question is coming from the fandom side of FanZone in the category of DC slash worlds of DC. Uh, the question is, Who is the worst DC hero in a DC or Worlds of DC movie? Again, who is the worst DC hero in a DC or Worlds of DC movie? Depending on the character, do we have to state which movie they're bad in? Uh, if it's in? yeah, I, you can attach a movie to it. Yes. Okay. If they're in multiple movies and you would like to do that, yes, that works. Robin, Batman, and Robin. Okay.
Superman, Man of Steel. Okay. So Robin in Batman and Robin and Superman in Man of Steel. Joe, you are going to be starting first. You get 45 seconds when you start talking. All right. So with Robin and Batman and Robin, you really don't get to see this Robin that we kind of know. Like, you know, he's taking understanding the tutelage of Bruce Wayne, of of Batman. He's very much trying to just be his go, like, goes on way. He's too hard-headed. He's not really complimenting Batman in the movie. He's undermining him. He's really what causes Batman and Robin to almost lose in that movie. He He's too hot-headed. He's too, he, he just is too arrogant for his own good. It takes him having to introduce Batgirl for him to even get on, to for even him to even be redeemable in that movie. When you have to add a third character just to even, like, try to bring your character back from the point of bad, from that point of badness, but he's still that bad in the movie, you really can't come back from it. He He's not even redeemable in that movie, even after they try to redeem him towards the end of it. Time. Okay, Ryan, 45 seconds. The Superman we get in Man of Steel is more of an angsty T than even Robin is. He is the reason that this whole issue with Zod and everything comes to Earth. He throws around his powers uh, regardless of whether or not there's any rampant destruction, which is not the heroism and Superman that we have seen in other iterations. It doesn't happen until later on in the series that he becomes a better Superman, but as far as Man of Steel is concerned, he is more of a, a devastation. He is more of a threat than probably most heroes should be at that point. Uh, and it's the whole reason we got Batman versus Superman, because he doesn't know what he's doing or he doesn't care. And let's face it, he does break the hero cardinal rule of killing somebody when he breaks Zod's neck. He's just not a good hero there. Time. Joe, 30 seconds. That is not a hero cardinal rule. There are certain heroes that have that cardinal rule. Superman does not have that cardinal rule. That does not make him a bad hero. He's not, you know, disregarding for the human life. It's, he's trying to come to understand with his power set. And coming to understand with that power set, he's not really able to regulate it well. That doesn't make him a bad hero. That means he's still coming into his own as a hero. With Robin, he's already had the previous movie to kind of come into his own and be a hero. And he's disregarding everything that Bruce has ever taught him in this movie and is just being more of a hindrance than he is a hero. With, with uh, Superman, you are at least getting him to actually be a hero. Robin's a hindrance. Time. Ryan, 30 seconds. Robin's not a hindrance. He's the epitome of a sidekick. Sometimes the sidekick gets captured. Sometimes the sidekick goes ahead and helps you out when he most needs you to. And the fact that he's a teenager or a young adult, he's going to be, uh, you know, a little bit of a trying to be an upstart. He was, and when he was doing the circus stuff, he is as a sidekick. And as far as like comparing him to Superman, I mean, Superman, if he's going to be wanting to test out his powers, he shouldn't be doing it on the public of Metropolis. He should be doing it off and away. He should be taking Zod away. He is more of a danger than Robin is. Time. Oh boy, this is tough. That was good. It was. Um, there was something I figured was going to be brought up, and it finally was. So I was yeah, I still got three people with sneak attacks. Uh, I, I know. Cody's always playing 4D chat. He sees all the angles. God damn it. I'm just always afraid that I'm wrong. You normally are, so it's fine. I know. In this debate, it's a subjective answer, so you're 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 you don't have a wrong opinion. At yeah, least we know. have at least we have uh three judges well, instead of one. This won't work um, for you. <laughs> that's fair. Um Lucas, you get to go first on this. Lucky me. That's never wrong. 
I mean, I could definitely be wrong on this one. This was uh, about as close as you can get an argument, especially with such little time to separate people. Um, I think that I'm lean slightly Ryan, um, specifically focusing on the moment when he said sometimes sidekicks are just there to get captured and um, that Superman was a greater threat to people than Robin was. And at the end of the day, you know, a, a pretty good definition of what a hero should be is not putting people in threat. So I thought that was a... Uh, convincing argument in an argument that was incredibly close either way. Do you want me to go, Cody, or are you going to go? I can I'm, go. I'm, I'm supposed to go. I'll, I'll, you want to go? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. So I think there was a very strong point in this fight when uh, Joe said he's working like to figure out what his powers are supposed to do, and like that's one of the key points to this fight for me for Joe, because I think like what... I knew as soon as Man of Steel was picked because it was the popular, like, he betrayed Superman. Well, Superman's a shitty superhero. So, um, <laughs> but besides my personal opinion on that, um, I think, like, he was able to target it to, like, he was trying to figure out. And I believe Zod got it off easy because I wish I would have left that movie when Zod did. So, <laughs> uh, the suspense is here. Now I hate this. I wish I would have gone before. I went Ryan. Um, I agree with Lucas. I thought that um, it was so close, and what really brought it down to me was that Ryan was able to bring up more specific awful things that Superman did in the movie than Joe, and that his point about uh, Robin is there to be a sidekick to Batman as the hero, and Superman is a like just awful hero whether he knows like there are things that he could have done to not put the people of metropolis at risk uh which makes it even worse uh so it might have been the cliched answer but his argument worked for me if he had just said oh he killed zod that wouldn't have worked he expanded on that a bit so that's why i went with ryan so that means your winner ryan o'regan a very very close match. We're going to start by talking to Joe. Joe, really close game. Uh, came down to the final question there, and that last one was probably the best debate of the night. Really great. Um, how are you feeling? Um, physically, uh, like crap. My back is still killing me, but um, I'm 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 happy with how I performed. Um, last time I played um, Ryan in a league um, many 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 moons ago, um, it was a three zero sweep in his favor. So to be able to get to, so to be able to you know get two points in the regular round and then for, I mean it come down to the speed round was very nice. Um, yeah, so Ryan Ryan kept me on my toes the entire time. I felt better prepared for it, so I'm very happy with my um, performance. Um, would have liked it to go the other way, but it happens. Uh, at the end of the day, he did have um, a better argument on on the questions that he won. Yeah. Uh, so Joe, this does mean that you're done for the season. Uh, but is there anybody that you want to debate when you come back? Um. I'm cool with whoever. I'm pretty sure I'm, I have one of like the worst records now at one and three. So anyone with a similar record? Uh, there are people with records similar-esque. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll see what we can give you. All right. Um, but uh, Joe, it was a pleasure having you here tonight. You did a great job. Uh, so let's move over to talking to Ryan. Ryan, congrats. You got another win on the record. You are now two and two even. How are you feeling? Oh man, that that Dumbledore Vader one really took the wind out of me. I was like, uh, "We have to do that before the fifth question." 
Oh, it murdered me. But um, yeah, okay. So, Joe, I am so happy with how much you have improved since our first time. Really, uh, I mean, I, I there was maybe a small part of me that was like, "Is this going to go the same way it did before?" And I am happy that it didn't because otherwise, it, I I would have been like. Come on, I know you're better than this. I've seen you better than this. And you rose to that occasion. And so, Joe, great job. Great job putting me to the work. I honestly thought I had Vader with that, but uh, apparently Dumbledore's arsenal is just a little bit bigger. I, I should have gone with the whole, you know, hey, Vader could stop Tony from snapping. But, you know, I didn't do that. But uh, it's, it's nice to get the win. It's nice to actually have all that work uh, pay off, especially when it came to having to bust Superman, which I love Superman. I do. Uh, and the fact that I actually won my categories, so it's like I knew I put the time in correctly. Uh, I am a little apprehensive knowing that I have to now go up against Nazario because I do believe there is a little history there between me and him. And, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's going to be an argument because as far as being an animated talker, you know, as someone, you know, who really gets into the debate and does just sit there and talk, Nazario is one of the most uh, galvanizing characters, I would say, that we've seen in anything, fan zone or otherwise. So to put me up against him, uh, you know, bring your popcorn. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, Ryan, congrats on the win. It was a great match. I'm looking forward to seeing you play Nazario. It's going to be a really interesting one. So we'll see you real <laughs> soon with that one. Uh, Lucas, any final thoughts? I mean, this is one of those matches where like, if you're Joe, it really sucks to lose because you would beat, you know, a large percentage of other people with the match you played. And it's just such small, small margins um, with every question. I mean, Ryan, you got to give him a lot of credit for like being resilient. Um, when he lost the point, he lost it by a much wider margin than Joe did. Joe was pretty close on all of them. Um, so Ryan really, like, he, he got knocked down a couple hard a couple times and then really came back to, like, pull out the points he needed to and get the win. So, like, a lot of credit to both uh, competitors. But, you know, big ups to Ryan for the win. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Cody, final thoughts from you? Um, I'm just, we're just sitting here today and we did something. We confirmed that Man of Steel is a worse film than Batman and Robin. Um, I just, <laughs> I can't sit by and allow that to happen. Um, but no, this is a really good debate. I think, uh, again, when you come into this fight, you could see it going different ways. Somebody not preparing. Joe had a bad, Joe, if that's you on a bad back, like, lift that keg some more i think you could do really good <laughs> on your next one um but um yeah i think ryan i think ryan's got an uphill battle next because the person like i don't want to debate is nazario ever because nazario just is brutal yeah like he like he will just go for the jugular and he he will say the things that we won't say he will put our entire channel in jeopardy so um <laughs> Good luck. Uh, draft, very, very smart. You're going to need it. But, yeah, great fight overall. Um, and I'm good. I'm, I'm, I can't wait for Joe's next match because I think he'll be better. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us today at FanZone. Thank you so much for watching. Uh, the next match we have for you is another Joe. Joe Fairley is returning after his last win uh, to play Cameron Holtzman. So that one's going to be interesting. Uh, we'll see that in a couple weeks. Uh, and then we'll see the aforementioned uh, Ryan versus Nazario. So we're getting close to the end uh, to find out who's going to play Kirk. Lots of uh, interesting opponents could come their way. So looking forward to it. We'll see you guys real soon with the next match. Um, but until then, have a good one.
That's my bad. I was sending a tweet.